0: So unpredictable, here on the SNL Network
1: Yes, that is right. Welcome, everybody, on in to the Saturday Night Network here for another edition of SNL Stories, our podcast series where we interview special guests and alumni of Saturday Night Live. So excited to be here today with a guest that goes back all the way to the original days of the show and get to hear some amazing stories of the time that we just want to know so much more about. So very excited to introduce our guest in just a moment. But first up, have to introduce our co-interviewers here as well. And of course, joining us on all of our SNL Stories series, it is James Stevens. James, how are you?
2: John, it is great to be here. I'm excited. I'm like a kid in a candy store today. You know, this is going to be a great day of conversations, uh, like pulling the, the candy lever. It's the, the levy lever.
1: <laughs> yes exactly pulling the candy loving, <laughs> so uh excited to get into all of this with you james and uh we are joined today by the wonderful andy hoagland from snl in review entertainment weekly vulture andy how are you
3: john i'm, I'm doing quite well and uh, as always it's, it's a pleasure to to see both you and uh, and and mr james stevens so thanks for having
1: me on the show of course. Of course. Looking forward to your questions as always, Andy. And now it's time to introduce our special guest here today. So uh, like I said, this guy goes all the way back to the beginnings of the show since its incarnation. Um, he was, uh, if I get this right, and you'll, you'll tell me, Neil, uh, you were an extra on the show, yes. you a writer on the show, yeah. you were a talent coordinator on the show. So it is cool. my pleasure to welcome Neil Levy onto the podcast. Neil, how are you? Uh,
4: thanks. Good. Uh, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm doing really well. Thank you. Me. And yeah.
1: Of course. I love
4: your song, by the way. It's very nice.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, Neil, uh, very excited to have you on and ask you some questions about your time at the show. But I think it sort of makes sense for all of our listeners to go back to the very beginnings and how you sort of got started with, you know, your connections to Saturday Night Live and, sure. and how you, you joined the show. So would you mind uh, giving your SNL origin story to our listeners?
4: Uh, uh, well, um, uh, Lauren, Lauren is my cousin. He's a first cousin. And, uh, uh, I was, um, let's just, I wasn't what you call a ne'er-do-well, but I was, I was, uh, you know, I think I, I had ADD. I was, I, you know, I was one of those kids and I, uh, s- school was a nightmare and my parents didn't know what to do with me. And, uh, uh Lauren, uh, first he suggested i try art school because I had been doing art and I went there and, and uh, he, he was a, um, Uh, Very close with our family. He worshiped my mom and dad. His dad died when he was uh, uh, about 13. And uh, he, um, uh, you know, I worked uh, uh, briefly on the Heart and Learn Terrific Hour. I don't know if you know about that show, it's one of his CBC shows. I was an extra in a piece uh, where they were rounding up clowns in Canada and uh, substituting accountants uh, at children's parties. And I was a soldier, you know, had to jump off a truck you know to round up a clown um and um so uh you know I think he looked at my dad as uh, um kind of a father figure after his dad died and uh and I know he, he loved my mom um and so when uh you know I, you know we followed his every move you know when he did laugh in and all that all and whatever he was doing uh my mom was you know right there and uh i remember hearing his first jokes you know he would he would come over and tell a joke you know but uh then one day he came over with paul simon to our cottage and uh and i ended up doing uh at that time i was i had done uh, i was into magic i was doing stand up uh not stand-up of magic just going table to table and, and doing stuff like that and uh close-up and um i remember i did some magic tricks for paul simon which impressed him and uh and edie baskin was there too and uh and lauren took me down on the dock and he said uh we're gonna do this show it's a show for us and i remember being you know a show for us I, you know like he's a lot older than me but i i you know i was very flattered <laughs> that he included me in the us and he said uh, we're doing a show and i want, want to know if you'd like to be my assistant um you know you have to move to new york and do all that and i immediately said yes i couldn't wait so that's how I, that's how it started
2: that's no that's it's so interesting to hear that there was something that i read neil or maybe it was one of our previous conversations uh kind of you know as you talk about these celebrities like Paul Simon and I think it was maybe you know mick jagger was was at lauren's house, and you turn around and saw him there or something uh, oh yeah I had this. I, I, yeah I remember you said something about like this is Lorne before he's Lorne Michaels, and he still had like this gravitational pull to people right? I have no
4: idea he, he he is a very charming guy, and uh I, you know I think he went to uh after laughing, I think he went to, uh, to London and he hung out with the Monty Pythons because I think he had done like Laughing, that gave him an in. Uh, I think he may have produced the Lily Tomlin special. You know, but suddenly he's like good friends with Eric Idle and, uh, you know, Michael Palin and, uh, and, he, and Mick Jagger. And uh, I think Dom Schiller has the same story because when I first moved to New York, I slept on Lauren's couch. And coming home one day, and there's Mick Jagger sitting on the couch where I normally sleep. He had a beard and uh, and I remember Lauren saying Neil you know Mick Jagger <laughs> I'm like oh yeah of course I know Mick Jagger yeah, yeah. and I and I went over and I, I went to shake his hand and he just stared at my hand because I, like, I, I don't know what was wrong with <laughs> what he was on at that time but uh, it was a long <laughs> time ago um, later uh, you know Mick Jagger was around you know on and off you know you'd see him here and there and uh, he's the most ac- accessible person I mean uh, he's a, a really cool person. And uh, I remember my brother talked to him for half an hour about architecture, you know? So anyway, um, so I flew down to New York and uh, at the at beginning, Warren and I shared an office. It was no room for me. So I just put up my desk, like it was just facing his. So I...
2: Was that at the 17th floor? 17th
4: right floor, yeah. Apparently they were thinking of giving him uh, Rockefeller's old of office and he didn't want it. It was... Classic and cool, but it wasn't. It wasn't big enough, so he turned it down. Anyway, so I shared an office with him, and I was there, you know, from the very beginning, watching him put the thing together. I'm the guy who put up the cards. You know, that was one of my big jobs. Uh, I had to, uh, you know, when an idea would go down on a blue or pink card and go up on the board, and
2: uh, and that's kind of amazing, Neil. Just to interject, to think like. The structure of the show, the colored note cards, you know, the the structure of the production week that, you know, you were there at the beginning to see that has been really, in many respects, untouched, you know, these, you know, 40 some years later. It
4: worked. I don't know why change it, you know. And uh, yeah, I remember uh, the early days, it was just, I remember going to see like, uh um what was it? Uh, Eugene Lee had done the sets for some Broadway show and Lauren, Lauren and I went to see it. And then Lauren and I went out to uh, California to see uh, the Groundlings because uh, he's looking for cast. And I remember going to uh, uh, Catch a Rising Star to see Andy Kaufman and other people. That, you know, he's. We, I was involved in the looking, you know, and Lauren always said, like, what do you think? You know, and, so uh, I remember Paul Rubens uh, auditioned
0: uh,
4: in The Groundlings, right? And um, I thought he was great. But
1: would you have casted him if it was your choice?
4: No, I, I absolutely agree with Lauren. He said he's two one-note. Like he he had that one thing he was doing, and that's what he did. You know? Got it. Even in The Groundlings.
1: So Neil, I want to ask you, you know, when you're, you're first starting, basically, you said you're sort of uh, working hand in hand with Lauren at the time. But uh, I do want to ask about something in particular that I saw online from our, our friend, uh, Joel Navaroli. has this site called SNL archives, and it really tracks all the history of all of the sketches and all of the players in each sketch. And you are, you know, one of the like biggest extras as far as appearances in sketches, probably in the history of the show, where it seems like they were putting you in so many sketches in the backgrounds uh as like an additional role so well, what you yeah. know what, what went into that because you said you were doing a lot behind the scenes but then you were also on camera as well
4: one thing i wasn't getting paid very much so if i if they would put me in i was so happy and uh, maybe i expressed my happiness and they like to see me happy so i was like okay we'll put neil in you know also i played the guitar and the violin so whenever they needed something like that and um, but they put a lot of people in a lot of the you know people that were around the show were in in scenes and stuff. you know I was always a b uh killer v you
0: know it was always that you know.
4: um and then later, when I was casting, I thought, well,, I'll, maybe I'll put myself in once in a while <laughs> myself, you know, <laughs> just uh and odd things, but um,, I love going on and i I thought that I just uh. And
3: uh yeah. Neil, I, I had a I had a question. It it sounds like you were uh were were very young when you started on the show. I think I think I read that you were the youngest cast and crew person there.
4: Yeah, before. sure I was a kid. Yeah. Um
3: and uh, I think James said it really well, or maybe he was attributing this to you, Lauren before Lauren Michaels. I I, I love that phrase. Um you know, so I was curious about a few things. The first, just to go back for a moment, did you live, you know, around the corner or, or two minutes away from Lauren when you were growing up?
4: Uh, well, it was more like five minutes away, you know, by car, yeah. Could, could you jog there if you wanted to? I could have jogged there, sure, <laughs>
3: yeah. Um, but what's your earliest memory of him? Not, you know, the McJagger memory memory, the Mighty Python memory.
4: He was driving me home from the cottage and he had an MG, a sports car with a top down and uh he had on um penny lane and he and he and he looked at me and said can you believe these lyrics He said listen to that blue suburban skies do you realize how brilliant that is and i i was just nodding my head that's one of my first memories um he also uh you know he always he's the only one there's uh you come to the Passover Seders and he could do uh um one of the the prayers is is, is a, a song, and it's like really long, and it's involved, and, it, and 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 each each verse adds more to it, and he can do it really fast. It was very impressed, very impressive.
1: Cool. Okay, sorry, Andy, I just got to say, I think my family plays that game also. There's like oh, yeah. right at the end of the book where you have to keep adding stuff to it. We right. used to just try da, da, and do it. I think it I've got you and
4: It goes on and on and on and keeps adding. exactly what you're talking about. very quick with that. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll
3: have to look at the family tree and see if the Schneiders connect to the Michaels. Uh, oh, yeah, somewhere. Right, I, right. I
1: wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. Um,
3: but uh, Neil, I was also curious, you know, uh, uh, some other... Um, you know, uh, original members of, of the SNL, uh, cast and crew are in your life before, you know, you, you get to 30 rock, uh, like Howard Shore or, or, or Rosie, do you have any stories of
4: them? Well, I knew Rosie cause Rosie was married to Lorne and they had their, they actually had their, uh, engagement party at our house. Do I have any stories? No, none, none that I can share, you know, but yes, uh, you know, they're, they're great, uh, you know, and uh, you know, I, I was in Lauren's office when Rosie got her job. I can't. It's like this is so long ago. It's like sure, like a,
3: understandable. Yeah. yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever I just, I just love this. the origin story of this stuff. You know, like like what's the the Marvel MCU version of right. of, of, of Howard Shore walking in the door?
4: Well, Howard Shore. Howard Howard went to camp with Lauren uh, to if I'm not mistaken, and uh, they did plays there together. Um, and then Howard had a group, uh, uh, Lighthouse, I think it was called, which was just pretty successful in Canada. Um, but they were just remained friends and then Lauren immediately hired him. Um, Howard is one of the nicest people I know, you know, he let me stay in, uh, one summer I had no place to stay. I'd lost my apartment and I stayed in his place in hell's kitchen, uh, for a couple of weeks cause he was gone. Um, that was really nice of him. Um, when I got to New York, you know, my par- my parents had warned me uh, about drugs, not to do drugs. And so of course I said, I won't, wouldn't do them. And, you know, and, uh, so we get there and, um, i yeah, maybe you guys have known this story, but I, I, there was a, uh, Howard Cosell had a show called Saturday Night Live before Saturday Night Live. And, and, um, uh, Al Franken decided he wanted to have a party to watch that Saturday night live. So, so we all went over there. This is uh, probably a month before SNL went on the air. Not exactly sure the date. And, uh, um, there was all these people. I think Hunter Thompson showed up and all the writers and cast from SNL and other people I didn't know, but I felt very insecure. And I was, I was the kid and there was like a bowl of pre rolled joints like you didn't even have to to smoke this stuff, you just looked at the bowl and you got stoned, so, and they started passing and joint around, and I did not want to seem like the kids so and I passed it, and it just came around you know and then go around again, and then the party got really quiet and uh and I started getting really paranoid, and I started thinking that people were quiet because of me, and they were like looking at me and I, I don't know, I just got horribly paranoid, and I went and I locked myself in the bathroom. But it's the only bathroom in the place, so after five minutes, you know, people start knocking, and I'm like, "Oh, uh, just a minute!" And I like flush the toilet and go, "Oh no, I don't! I, I didn't mean to flush the toilet! I'm not done yet!" And, and I was like, "Just!" And then I I remember praying to God that this would go away. I was in such a horrible state, and uh, and finally, I get a knock on the door, and 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 it was Dan Eckward, and he said, uh, "Neil," I said, "This is Dan." He said, uh, "You probably you probably smoked some of that pot." Uh, you're probably paranoid. You probably think you're the only one. Let me tell you, my friend, you're not the only one. We all smoked the pot. We're all very still we're all very paranoid. He said, uh, if you come out right now, I can talk you down. And he talked me out of the bathroom. And I remember, uh, the only thing I remember from that is that I couldn't get my shoulders to go down. My shoulders were like this. and I was like walking out of the bathroom, hoping no one could me and maybe my shoulders were like a a wall so no one could see me and he
3: did he ask you to listen to some almond brothers with him
4: afterwards he actually took me into the bedroom and he did things like you know i used to you know he just did that kind of thing (laughs) and and then he pulled his pants down a little bit and he walked over to the radiator and he was a radiator repairman, which it must have been. Now I'm thinking. I mean, I thought about this years ago, but that it was a stock character that he brought with him, you know, from uh, from Second City. And he was like, "Oh my God, Mr. Levy, this is a beauty. This is a this is a Radisson 2000. I can't. I haven't seen one of these." in a while. you know, and he started working on the radiator. Uh, and you know, he ended up doing that as a refrigerator repairman but later on. I don't know, but thought I saw it first. It, and he, he, did, he gave me a laugh and he calmed me right down. He's one of the nicest people you'll ever met in your life. Amazing. It,
2: it, it's amazing, and it's not lost on me, Andy, uh, that you know some of that very, uh, acroid language uh, shows up in a sketch. So yeah, the, the Jimmy
4: Carter, cool. yeah, right. He, he he he. That's you know he does that. About that. But, uh, so Neil
2: you said something about like absolutely it's a long time ago and we don't expect you to remember everything uh but part of this you know is to certainly acknowledge and sort of almost celebrate uh you know your being there I mean let's be honest you were there you played a juror on the first episode so so you know, are on, you're on the first episode of this show that is now an institution um What do you remember, if anything, about like, you know, Lauren brings you in, you're sharing an office, your desks are facing, there's a lot of pre-production for months, and then the week of that first show, and the night of that first show, like, do you remember anything specifically about that?
4: Oh, uh, I do remember a couple of things, you know, uh it's all kind of a blur i mean to be honest with you you don't know at the time that this is like the time of your life right here right I remember every bit of this and write it all down it's just to me i was like 20 and i'm like running around doing things uh you know they had me i i, I think there was me I think I was the only production assistant. And then they brought in Doris Powell for, uh, and I'm not sure when she came in, but I was just, I mean, I didn't get to bed till three in the morning, every morning. And I have to be back at the office by 10. And, you know, it was like constant. But, um, what do I remember of that week? Uh,
2: or even just that night, like, you know, you got to go on. Cause it's live. I remember that,
4: uh, I think Billy Crystal was booked on that night, if I'm not mistaken. And yep. I, uh, I heard his um agent, uh Buddy Mora, screaming at Craig Kellum, who was the associate producer that year, screaming at him in the uh, coffee room that this is not over and we're you know, like threatening, you know, all that stuff. And uh Craig just having to take it and going, oh, Uncle, we're really sorry, you know. But uh so I remember that. I remember being in the hall and uh this thing I've been the first show, was Chuck Berry on the first show? No. No, he no. was on he Not was that like, we know
3: of, unless you want to break it here now. No, Neil. no, no, he wasn't on Did, the first did you
4: guys show. cut Chuck Berry? No.
3: <laughs> he was a no, musical
1: I, guest in the middle of season
4: two. No, I'll come back to him. Oh, that's right. So that's season two. Um, uh, who else was on that show? I know it was... Well, I, re- I
2: do in know Carton. that there was a George Carlin sketch oh, George Carlin. that got yeah, cut. He,
4: yeah, and not only that, but if I'm not mistaken, I was standing beside Lauren when George Carlin deviated from his rehearsed set and decided to do something on Roman Catholics and natives. And and Lauren said something like that fucker. <laughs> something <laughs> like that. Let's just say he didn't say that, but it was something like that. And he took off into the into the booth. Because he had promised the censors, you know, everything's going to be fine you know, because there's no seven second delay. And, uh, you know, part of that was that nothing, this kind of crap isn't going to happen. It's the reason Carlin never came back. You know, Lauren just you know, put him on whatever list Well, and this has. is
2: sort of the formation of Lauren, too, because, you know, I know we, we, we've, I think, read or heard you talk about, um, you know, Lauren quitting just walking out when they take his lighting person away or something like that. Yeah. To he just, did. you know, prove a point. Right. So can you tell us a little bit about just like.
4: Well, that was on the Robert Klein show. Episode five. Yeah. Episode five. That's right. And. Um, yeah. They took his, uh, his lighting person. They took uh, Phil Himes away. And uh, or was it Scotty. Did they take the sound guy away or is a lighting guy? It was a lighting guy. It was lighting. Guy. Honestly, and, I'll uh,
2: take your, yeah, I'm, not, I'm absolutely sure. But, I yeah. thought it was
4: uh, Scotty Schachter. I thought it was the, the sound guy, but it could have been Phil. And, uh, and he argued with him and then he quit. And then he called my dad, I remember, saying, what do you, you know, what, should, what do you think I should do? And I think my dad was of the opinion that, well, he asked him all these questions, like, well, what does this mean to you? And can you walk away? And do you need the money? And you know, all, all the questions you would ask somebody who's, like, about to, to, to quit anyways, he decided to uh to quit, and uh he walked away and um it was all in secret. We had a secret meeting at his apartment at the osborne and uh no one was to know uh Robert klein never knew i mean I'm sure he knows now, you know, but he never knew at the time and uh and he would kept asking me where's where is the producer and I had a different <laughs> excuse every time he asked me oh he'll be here i think he's oh he, you know probably at four you know or whatever and it's just like he never showed until near the end when they think they you know they resolved it and then he shows up so i thought it was pretty cool that was really cool huh
1: I just want to say for the audience i mean that episode also had a very weird thing where abba didn't show up either or they showed up and like they had to do a pre-recorded musical performance and i remember you neil in particular were sitting at a table watching Abba's performance as the studio pretended to get flooded uh, it's a very interesting unique episode if, you, if yeah, I it was, it a,
4: yeah it wasn't I? i was a um, waiter you were a waiter waiter, yeah, we were waiter, waiter. Exactly. and yes. i had to yeah. like yeah. fall over because the ship was sinking but uh, I i don't know if I – I'll tell you this one thing, is that the word went out that the, that the girls in ABBA weren't wearing panties. Of course it was – so every writer was on his hands and knees right behind that set. I wish there was a picture of that, you know. <laughs>
3: um, speaking of the, the writers, uh, Neil, I, I wanted to jump to season three. I, I think you're on the staff at that point um, and, and was curious about your thoughts on, on the – the famed writer's revolt, you know, what was that like for you as, as Lauren's cousin, or your, your allegiance?
4: First Dan Acker comes into my office and he says, all right, I know you're his cousin, but I got, you know, you're a writer now and you're one of us and you're, you know, we've been working together and you're going to, you're going to, you know, uh, and so he shows me some, some sort of budget that he's discovered that uh, where there's $30,000 for the writers in the budget, I'm just throwing out numbers. I don't really right. know what the numbers are. And, but the writers were only getting like 15 or something like that. And where is that rest of that rest of that money coming? I mean, you know, and he was like really pissed off. And, you know, he had just assumed Loren was pocketing it or I don't know what he would assume. And I, you know, I went to Lorne and I said, there's a little bit of a revolt going on, going on. And he, he didn't really uh, seem to uh respond um and then i was kind of torn because i was a writer and you know as well so i just kind of like kept my mouth shut from that point on and then uh as it turns out uh yeah he was using because the budget was so thin at at the when the show started he was using that money for set for props and sets you know he had diverted it as a producer Uh, And it was up to him to negotiate uh, with the writers. So that's what they negotiated. So that's what they were getting. So that there was more money in the budget for them doesn't mean he has to give them that money. You know, uh, he's a good producer. And he needed the money to make the show get on the air anyway. So we're all
0: sitting in the uh, um,
4: the, the writer's room. And um, Lauren comes in. Maybe it's because I told him this was going on and then and then uh he says, "What's going on?" and Dan Eckward stands up and gives him a rundown, and he goes, "I see, and he just turns around and walks out and goes down the hall to his office, and goes in closes the door, and everybody got up and ran, Lord, Lord, no, no, wait, Lord, and they were all like banging on his door, and we're sorry, we're sorry lord lord and and he didn't he didn't open the door. So he like waited. I don't know when he made up with everybody or when you know when it was okay again, but you know that was the end of that. I mean, so not not a great story, but it it, it happened and uh you know.
3: But do you talk to him later about it and he's like, Wow, I really played you guys or wow, Dan Aykroyd's an ass. Like, no, I,
4: no, he didn't. <laughs> uh, uh, no, he did not talk to me about that. It was like uh it happened and it was resolved and let's move on. That's basically it
1: interesting uh let me ask you about season three a little bit more because that season neil is widely regarded as potentially the greatest season ever oh, you know, there's, yeah. there's so many yeah. like amazing moments uh, amazing episodes in that particular season do you have any memories of any sketches that you worked
4: on or any of your favorite moments yeah, i from worked on that- uh, i worked on a bees sketch with ann Beats. uh that was kind of a hit i worked on uh i did a thing called funeral magician because I was in the magic with uh, Bill Murray, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, I know it was. It's not coached that way, but it's the first time he did that uh, Las Vegas uh, singer character, where he sings at a funeral. He's he's uh, uh, does does that does a whole kind of act at a funeral and ends up sawing the casket in half. Yeah, it was with uh, Hugh Hefner in uh, Gilda. Uh, I don't remember anything else. <laughs> yeah. It's just that that year is a blur, a real blur to me.
2: During the height of all of that, um, you know, people will always look at the beginning and the first cast. I mean, that's a couple questions. I I remember reading someplace that Lorne, after that first episode, maybe even turned to the whole cast and crew and said, uh, well, I guess we're a hit. (laughs) And everybody's like, where are you getting this from? Because it took a little little time. Um, Oh, Yeah. But I think that he is a good producer, as you said, to kind of uh, motivate folks. He used to way. post
4: the uh, the negative reviews on the bulletin board. People look at, there was a real rebellious kind of feeling in the whole thing that we're doing something, they're not going to get it. They're not going to get it. And then they're going to get it. Lauren said, uh, we're never supposed to write down to anybody. If they don't get it, they don't get it. Fuck them. They'll have to learn. You know, that was, that was the... Uh,
1: Nowadays, Let's they just post that. the negative podcasts up on the bulletin board. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: Probably.
3: Luckily, there are none. <laughs>
4: right. And um, I don't think anybody knew they were a hit because uh, I remember it being in the the, the, uh, the Nielsens at the time didn't take into consideration college campuses. And Lauren kept saying, that's where we got an audience and they're just not registering that. And I know he was telling that to NBC. And when we first really knew we were a hit was when we went to New Orleans, and, uh, when the cast was mobbed, you know, uh, when we went to, uh, Jackson square and, uh, it's the first, first, I think the only time the show was ever done out, out of the studio and it was kind of a nightmare, but, uh, it's fun for me. Also a nightmare because I was running. I just never stopped running. But, uh,
2: Have you been back there since? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good.
4: I remember, uh, one sad story there. There was a, a guy who had a parrot, and there was a sketch in the courtyard of uh, pirates. And uh, he had a parrot, and we told him that we're going to be shooting off these these guns, and he, and so maybe you better have the parrot like on a wire or something so he doesn't fly away. Oh no! Oh no! I got him trained. He's not going to move. Don't worry about it. Bang! Zoom! The parrot the parrot shoots off, and you know I don't think he ever saw the parrot again kind of sad. But anyway. You tried tried to help him. I tried. You can only try.
2: I know that you have shared uh, over time some of the you know, kind of behind the scenes, maybe more tender moments with your close relationship with like John Belushi and and Gilda as someone who really you know, knew her. How would you describe her? And and is there anything about John that you'd care to share? Gilda was
4: just, you know, hard to, hard to Gillard was a doll, just just a as bright and cheery and funny off camera as she was on, you know, it was always a joy to walk into her office. She always wanted to know what I was doing and who I was dating and what's going on. You know, and because Wybelle was her, her writer, you know, her guy, you know, and I was really good friends with him, uh, we all went to lunch all the time. So And then, then you know, we'd buy her every dessert on the menu. That was our our big thing. Um, She was, uh, you know, one of a kind. I know what else. I mean, I I can't. I don't really want to tell you some of the things that were told to me or stories that you know might not that you know that that would be up to her to tell, and she's not around, so I really shouldn't tell them. But uh, anyway, you know, I know that. I can tell you one thing. Uh, when, um, what's his, uh, Let me see. Uh, the hell is his name? He was in Godspell with her in Toronto. You guys would know his name.
2: Uh, Marty Short? No. Nope.
4: Victor uh, Garber? Victor Garber. That's it. Wow. Good memory. Uh, and so she wanted me to meet him because he had saved her life. And I said, Well, how did he do that? She said, she was going to kill herself and it laid down on a road and a highway or something like that. He ran out and grabbed it. So something, something like that. And, and I thought it, she was joking, but then I saw that she wasn't. So.
1: Okay. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously we've heard some incredible stories about her life and uh, I appreciate you sharing some more with us. So Uh, I do want to ask you, so there is a really interesting point in SNL's history, naturally, where season five comes to an end and then we lose what was left of the original cast and most of the writers and Lorne Michaels decides to move on. And for you, my understanding is, is that you actually stayed on board and and elevated yourself actually at Saturday Night Live into a more powerful position. So can you talk a little bit
4: about that? Actually, no. I had I had uh, left the show and gone to Los Angeles and ended up working with Chevy for a year or a little more than a year, uh, writing a pilot for NBC, which I wrote, which I wrote with Chevy. It was called San Souci. It was about a uh, minimum security prison that they sent like really wealthy people, you know, where the biggest punishment was, uh, you know, you had to clean a jacuzzi and that, that kind of thing. So Chevy and I sold that. Chevy. We'll say Chevy sold it to NBC. Anyway, so we ended up we wrote that. I got a lot of Chevy stories, obviously, but uh, that's a whole other thing. Uh, and then uh, uh, I came back, Jean uh, Domanian called me and wanted me to come back. And so I knew enough to call Lauren and ask him if was it was okay, because I had heard, you know, things are not great between him and Jean, the way she had done it, the way she came on board uh way she became producer. So I called him. And he said, Do you need the money? I said, Yeah, do you need it? I said, sure. And he said, fine. So I went back to SNL um uh, on that year, which was an absolute nightmare from day one. Well, Neil,
3: I, I do want to acknowledge you know what what some might see as 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 a bright spot in that season. You know, you above Gene even is is credited for for giving Eddie Murphy his his very first shot. Very famous story of if listeners haven't heard it, um, Neil, you start getting these these random weekly calls right from yeah, a young yeah. teenager. My right. my question is, how does Eddie Murphy, you know, even even get that phone number in the first place? Could you just back then look up NBC in the phone book and request an audition, or how did how did that come about?
4: No, you could request, you could find out my name and then and then call the NBC operator and say, please give me Neil Levy's office. At that time, I had like a secretary. Uh, but there was a secretary that, that was secretary to a bunch of other people, too. Right and, uh, uh, you know, if she just kept at it. Uh, I often I was, what, 24 years old at that, at that time or 23. No, it's 24. I would pick up the phone myself often before the secretary could get to it. So, you know, he'd call up. <laughs> and he'd say, I know, you know, and at this point, Gene had found a guy, uh, a guy named Robert Townsend. You guys are know the story, so I don't know if you want me to tell the story. Yeah,
3: Hollywood that. Shuffle. You, but no, let's let's hear it.
4: She had found Robert Townsend, who was great, you know. Um, and he just hadn't signed his contract yet. So Eddie starts calling me up. And, and I often use this as an example to people. And I say, you know, persistence, you just got to keep at it, especially in show business, because they get so many people who send them they you know, their their glossies are, are or on now, you know, you send them whatever the hell you're sending them now, but uh, you know, it's persistence. So he just kept calling me. And, and every time he'd get through, he would come up with some funny story or some funny, something else funny that made me laugh about how he had to have this job and he had to get on. And, you know, and I said, well, it's really, cause Jean had already, I heard she was already hiring somebody. Um, things were already going bad. I mean, just the way things were, were really kind of uh, oppressive on the show, even before it began episode one. Anyway, um, the last time he called up, I remember him saying something about that. He had 18 brothers and sisters and they were all counting on him. None of them were working and they were all counting on him to get that job. And this was, you know, and, and he made me laugh. I said, okay, you know, what? I, I, you can come in. I thought I would interview him just as an extra. So he comes in and uh, he starts doing his bit. He did a thing, uh, he did Bill Cosby, I remember. He did, well, uh, um, one thing I remember, he did these these uh, three characters in Harlem. Where he acted. He had written this, and it was um, all three characters, um, a little guy instigating a fight between the other two, what, uh, and uh, which he ended up doing on the show. It wasn't like a great piece, but when he did it to me in the office, I realized the guy can write because uh, there was some really classic comic beats in it. And so I, I uh, and, and then he started blowing me away, just his characterizations and his, his energy. And, and I just was like, wow, this guy has got everything on top of which, he can write. So uh, I thanked him. And, you know, in, in his mind, I said, thank you. <laughs> and, you know, and I escorted him to the door. Uh I I doubt that that's the way it was because I get, I usually get very excited when I see talent and this guy has had talent you know just beaming out of him so I I I, uh, I went to uh, uh, Liz Welch and uh, Mike Zanella I said we got to get this guy on the show well we, but we got Robert Townsend I said I know Gene's got to see him so I arranged for Gene to see him and Gene sees him and I was worried that he wouldn't be as good second time around as he was the first time around, but he was even better. I mean, he just, you know, he was fricking great. And so he leaves and then Gene goes, "No, nah, you know, I, I like Robert Townsend better. I'm gonna stick with Robert Townsend. And I I blew a gasket. Uh, I just got really angry and um, I was so upset at the time. You know, I, I think I said something like, I don't know that I can stay here anymore. And she stopped. And she she said, well, uh, you know, uh, you know, and then she and then she said, I I'll I can make him a featured player. And so I said, fine. And she did. And I, I think he wasn't a regular only because of me, because of, despite me and because she had had to make that concession. And so she didn't make him a regular, which is what Robert Townsend would have been. Uh, he was he wasn't a featured player. And then I remember going to Eddie at one point where I think he was getting $600 an episode. And I and I almost was apologetic about that because he's now on the cast and he's, you know, of a major show and he's getting 600 bucks, which, you know, back then was still kind of a lot of money, but not for a, a TV star. And he looked at me and he said, that's okay, man. He said, I'm going to be a millionaire before I'm 21. And I remembered that, and He was. I think he actually became a millionaire from whatever his first movie was. Yeah.
1: I just, I have to know who broke the news to Robert Townsend that he was no longer going to be a cast member.
4: You know, I don't know.
1: Or what about, wasn't it <laughs> I, Charlie Barnett? Wasn't he
4: involved too or no? Charlie Barnett uh, was on the show, but I, I don't, don't remember. I really don't.
1: Okay, so Neil, I want to ask you about season six cast auditions. Were you present while other people were auditioning? And do you yeah, have? Any... I was
4: there. I was there. I don't have, you know. Did you know Denny Dillon going in? I did not know her, but uh, I, lo- I, I think she's a swell person. I really like Denny Dillon and very talented. Uh...
1: So I feel like one of the most famous uh, stories about somebody auditioning and not getting the part was John Goodman. Is there any memory or truth to this? I that don't. I it? worked
4: with Goodman years later, just on my own little cable television thing, and he was good enough to come in to voiceover. And he's a s- swell guy too. But I, I don't. I don't know anything about his audition for SNL. That's for Gene. The audition. For... I seem to remember that he auditioned, but I, was so or Gene? I think. I think it was, it was Gene. Gene. I think. Yeah. It was Gene. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't. I don't quite remember uh, him. Gilbert. what about
3: uh, do you have any good Patrick Weathers stories or Matthew Lawrence stories
4: Matt Lawrence oh my God was, yeah I, I you know Matt um, I don't I mean they're both nice people um, Pat was a little bit out of his element I think he was very talented uh, you know he could do a couple of things but uh, um, it was a, you know a nice enough guy uh, Matt was a great guy um, I uh, I don't have any stories. Following
3: up on John's question, though, about about uh, John Goodman, like I've heard Mercedes Rule was was coming down to the final slot against Denny Dillon.
4: I I auditioned Mercedes Rule first and I thought this is a very talented person and I wanted her to get the shot. And. uh, And uh, Gene, Gene said, no, you know.
1: Can I ask you a more like theoretical question about SNL auditions? This was an interesting debate we were having on the podcast last year. There was a really famous uh, tick tock that blew up over the summer with someone putting out their audition for Saturday Night Live. They said, oh, I want to be on the show. And they did a whole thing and it blew up online. And we had this debate on the podcast of if Saturday Night Live auditions for cast members should be open to the public or not, because the audition process is so secretive as far as you know there's like people like you like in the shadows going out to comedy clubs watching people and then bringing them in for auditions and you know as fans like we we want to know more about that process of getting on the show so do you think that there should be some type of open audition
4: well i i all i can say when you open things up to the public uh it's it would be impossible i mean all of this yeah i was in charge of the home movies back in the first season or two or three or whatever and um, and I remember uh, John Head brought me this thing, Mr. Bill. So I watch and went, "That's great! I got to put that on." So I, Mr. Bill goes on. So as soon as Mr. Bill goes on, I remember anyone could submit a whole movie. We started get, getting all these these uh, uh, videos uh, um, of people with their heads exploding, arms cut off. They, you know, it's like they watch Mr. Bill and go. Oh, that's what they want. That's what they want. And it just became this horrible, violent glory, kind of like uh, every week I I loathe, you know, I I was like dreading looking through the pile of videos uh, for a while anyways. Uh, So um, to open things up to the public, you know, how could you even do it? I mean, uh, you'd have to hire a lot lot more casting directors to go and look, you know, uh, um I don't know what the process is now. Back then there was a couple of places you went. There were the improv places, you know, Second City and the Groundlings, and then there was the comedy club. And then there were agents, you know, submitting people. Uh it's probably different now. Uh I I have no idea.
1: I, I sort of pictured it more like like American Idol style auditions where you like walk in and there's judges and Oh yeah, yeah.
4: No, I don't know. I don't think they should try. Delivered. Do it. That would be a fun
2: idea, though, yeah. During the audition talk, we just sort of alluded to something that I wanted to circle back to again. uh, You deserve the recognition, the praise, the celebration, whatever. This is interesting. I think you have the rare distinction of being one of the only people to
0: work for all three executive producers. Yes. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah, no Leo,
2: Leo, Leo. Uh, yeah, yeah, or Akira, Akira. Right. Leo. Some of the some of the crew, but I mean, you know, your your role, uh, especially in a talent, and and you know, you were a writer there for a little bit. I mean, it just had to be interesting to see from from Lorne, who is family, and then Gene, and then to Dick Eversall.
4: Well, let's just say that. Lauren would be at the top of the list <laughs> of, of those three. Yes.
2: No, no, no question. No question. Yes. Is it true? Did Lauren really come back to see Dick's first show?
4: He did. And Dick, Dick kind of screwed me on that one. Uh,
2: so he's in the building. Lauren comes to see that first. So, show. Uh,
4: this, I'll, I got a uh, preface this by saying that uh, I'll digress for a minute. Uh, when Dick first came on, uh, he was, you know, he wanted, he didn't know what, what he was doing, to be honest with you. And, and he decided he was going to do a uh, uh, short film. So he was going to break the writing staff uh, into two. And uh, one 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 side was going to write a short film about, I can't remember what, and the other side was going to write a short film about a bag lady. Where he got that idea, no idea. Bag lady, so. Like five writers who said you're gonna write a short film two minutes long but a bag lady make it funny so they wander away scratching their heads and they come up with something and uh, I think Denny Dillon plays the bag lady and um, so I walk into Dick's office and he's watching the finished bag lady film with Michael O'Donoghue sitting there puffing on his he had these brown cigarettes. I think it was Virginia Slims, I think, is what he had. And Dick says, Is there anything we can do to save this? And Michael says, No, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> he says, Well, wait a minute, Dick. He said, If you took out all the sound and you just had footage of Denny Dillon sitting on the bench and then you added funny voiceovers of people passing by, that's the only thing I can think of. Great, Neil. I want you to go and get the uh, the, the cast, and I want you to rec- tell them. I uh, first get the writers and have them write funny lines for a bag lady sitting on a bench and the pe- people passing by, and then I want you to go to the cast members and I want you to get them to record it. So I go, okay, I can do that. So I go to the writers and they give them this assignment and they write it, and then I go to the cast members, uh, Charlie Rocket and all everybody else, Mary Gross, and. Uh, fine, and what I didn't realize, he had now handed this piece of shit over to me. I'm now <laughs> producing it. Uh, I'm just doing his bidding, you know. I'm, I'm like a, I'm like this kid going, "Oh, okay, great," you know. Uh, and of course, it was it was a, it was a terrible. I mean, there was there was nothing good about it at all. So the uh, the night of the show, Lauren's coming to the uh, dress rehearsal and dick is all you know he gets out of his his desk to let lauren sit back in his desk on the ninth floor you know the king is is back you know and uh and then he says to to lauren you know neil did this great bag lady film oh god and i'm like well i I," and then he says neil can you get me that list of blah, blah 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 and he sends me out before i can i can uh Tell Lauren that that never happened. Uh,
2: that wasn't you.
4: And which I eventually told him, you know, but, it, you know, for, for a long time, I think he thought I was responsible for that piece of shit. And anyway, I just thought that was interesting that he handed that off to me. Uh,
2: it's interesting that he did that. It's interesting to hear uh, kind of maybe his lack of comedy chops and, and O'Donohue leaning on him. But also,'t I, I think most of us SNL historian types uh, picture Lorne during those five years where he's not at the show being completely removed and at arm's length and off someplace, filming three Amigos or something. So, th- so to think show. that he was, yeah, the new show, but to think that he was there, that he came back to that that first episode was uh, hey,
1: for Dick was interesting
4: basically keep the show running till Warren came back so you got to give him props for that
1: so season seven uh, the first year with Ebersol producing was your last season with yeah. Saturday Night Live correct yes
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: okay so and was it was mostly like would you have liked to have stayed on if it had not been for your relationship with Dick Ebersol at the time or it was just uh- uh,
4: well uh, I don't know I mean. It's hard, it's hard to say. He he uh, he bullied me. Uh, he bullied me physically. Like when I think about it, hmm. uh, I remember one time walking down the hall. This would be hard for you guys to even believe, but I'm—he's a big guy. He's probably six three. He must be. And I'm walking down the hall, and there's no one else in the hall. And I'm walking towards him, and he and he sees me, and I go, I go, morning, Dick. And he veers out of his way, and he body checks me in the, into the wall, and knocks me off my feet. And I'm like, holy. And I got up and I immediately apologized because I thought I had done something. Maybe I tripped, but I hadn't tripped. Uh, you know, he, he was just physically intimidating me. Wow. And, and then. Uh, well, he's from uh, the football world.
3: So football, well, I, I that's guess how that's... you do it.
4: And, and the second time he did it, uh affirmed that because he did it again. Uh, he knocked me, he smacked into me. The third time, I was ready. And as he came towards me, and he veered towards me, I just went full steam into him, and bang, we bang, banged into each other. And he was like, "Oh, uh, are you okay?" I said, "Yeah, I'm fine." Yeah, yeah. And he never did that again. He did other shit. But wow! All right. So that wasn't a pleasant experience for me. Uh, uh, you know, he did send me to get Catherine our hair out. That was that was fun. So he said, "You want your job?" I said, "Yeah." I said, sure. He said, uh, go to Toronto and bring me back Catherine Harris. I don't care what you have to do to get her here. Just get her here. And so I flew to Toronto. I called her up. I had lunch with her. You know, I Fell in love with her immediately. <laughs> She's just, just a really delightful person. And I managed to talk her. I took her to my home. You know, and, you know I managed to talk her into coming into New York. So, so uh, she comes down to New York. And she's met at the airport by Danny and John. And uh, then I remember we went to a party that night. And uh, I don't know what I can tell at this. Never mind. I'm going to stop right there. But all I will say is that um, so Emile really wanted her, but she hadn't signed a contract. And then uh, there was a. A day when uh, Michael O'Donoghue wanted to address the writers, and he wrote uh, "death," I think, in red paint on the wall. And uh, Catherine O'Hara looked at me, and she just went, "No," and she was gone that day.
1: So Catherine O'Hara, uh, Lori Metcalf, and Emily Prager were all really interesting cases of this weird sort of dynamic that was, you know, switching over from Gene's era to Dick's era and uh you know those two in particular metcalf and prager i don't know if you have any memories of of them coming in but they came in for basically the last episode of uh season six were barely on the show and end up being sort of like a footnote in the history of snl as these weird cast cases so for right. you as a talent coordinator any any interesting thoughts there no okay <laughs> no
4: I remember but i don't I, I don't have any interesting thoughts about it i remember uh, hiring uh you know i could remember. Things like when Miles Davis did the show—that was an interesting thing for me because uh, uh, I really liked him. I you know, really dug Miles Davis, and, uh, but so didn't know who he was. Um, and unfortunately, he was—they said he was jet lagged. Uh, well, this doesn't actually. Uh, this is kind of a negative thing about Miles Davis. I think he was still—I think he was on heroin, to be honest with you. Uh, because uh, about a minute before showtime, uh, when Joe Dixo was standing in the dressing room door yelling, one minute, you know, and Miles Davis had locked himself in the bathroom. And I'm trying to get him out of the bathroom. And, uh, and I finally get him out, with like 30 seconds to go, and I'm getting him along on stage. But then, as anybody knows, Miles doesn't like play to an audience. He kind of walks around. But I think because of the heroin, his energy was really low. He was like walking around and just hitting one note, and the band was smiling. Uh, I haven't looked at it again since it happened, but they—they already—they knew something was up, something was wrong. And uh, and then um, Ebersol walks up to me and he was, "What's going on?" You know, I, I don't know. I said, uh, it's, "It's great." <laughs> I, I I thought quick. I went up. Uh, uh, it's great, isn't it? It's like real, it's like great TV. <laughs> <laughs> and um, later, his manager told me that he was jet lagged. So I, I'll, I'll buy that, you know, it's possible. they had just come back from Japan. So he was an older guy. So anyway.
2: I was just going to say, John, when you were uh, bringing us back to the crazy transition between uh, Gene stepping away and, and Dick coming in. Uh, I feel like with with Neil here, we can't uh, – we'd be remiss to not mention Charlie Rocket. Yeah. And uh, at least the the F-bomb, right?
4: Sure. Yeah, you're in that sketch. Uh, was I in that? I didn't even remember. Um, I was uh... – no, I wasn't. I, I, no, he said that right at the end of the show. Well, No, you're in that.
3: the After Midnight sketch i i believe i mean you you were the one there so i i don't know if you don't know but no, I, don't <laughs> I thought not you were
2: but in the yeah it's it's reference to what happened earlier but then in the good nights yeah i'd like to know who the who the f did it
4: was uh who else was on that who was the musical guest on that show uh
2: it was charlie's there uh charlie because prince and- was on I mean, that one i think prince yeah 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 Yeah,
4: prince. so i remember you know booking him in in uh a- um, because I thought he was really talented, not 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 because he um, had a number one hit or anything, because I don't think he did at the time. But he was not but, Prince, yeah. No. I think he may have said in his song, and there uh, was something that yeah. sounded like it. And the censor, whose name I forget now, she's like a beehive, a like a gray beehive haircut, and Clotworthy. Like, no Clotworthy was earlier, it was in the seventies. Oh. I forget her name. When she looked at me like, did he say fuck? And I went, no, no, no. I mean, I, I, she had the lyric sheet in front of her. And I go, no, no, no. Uh, it's not there. It's, uh, he, she said flogging. Yeah, it, just, it went by her. But then when Charlie Rocket said it, it there was no. And then I remember Davey Wilson stood up and he threw his script down. And he went, that's the end. And he walked out while wow. the credits were rolling. And then I remember that Charlie Rocket was uh, – he was made to um, write an apology to every affiliate. I don't know how many affiliates there were. He had to write a handwritten apology to every single one of them. Wow. And uh, either, I guess maybe he typed it. <laughs> that's, that's the word that went around at the time. He had to write it, you know, but it probably. Dear Peoria, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, but but uh, that was the last straw for Gene that particular show, I think that's the excuse they were looking for. But, you know, I knew she was going just before she did because she told me she'd had uh, dinner with Dick Eversall and I went, you're done. I just knew it. I just knew it. I remember telling Leo. I bet bet they're thinking about him. And I was right. It was like the day later she was gone and he was in.
1: Okay. So Neil, I just, I also wanted to ask you, so since, uh, since season seven, uh, you know, obviously Lauren, since season 10, Lauren's been back uh, right. after season 10. So have you gone to go visit the show at all? Are sure. you currently watching the show? Any fun? Yeah, I watch moments?
4: it. I, 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 you know, I, I, you know, I, I watch it. I watch the highlights the next day. You know, I watch like the five best sketches, you know, I don't watch it from the beginning anymore, but I do watch it. And, uh, uh, occasionally I'll send I'll, I'll, I'll go. I, have, I haven't gone I mean actually I haven't been there since the 40th anniversary. I uh, haven't been. How back. was that? That was amazing. That was really amazing. Um, I, I was uh, I remember uh, going into the ballroom, first walking in with, uh, with Larry David, who, who I also knew from the old days and, and Seinfeld walking behind them and I heard uh, Larry David said, this is pretty, pretty fancy to, to Seinfeld. Yes, it is. <laughs> As they're walking in together, and and uh, so they actually talk that way to each other. Anyway, um,
2: that was the after party.
4: Yeah, the after party, and then uh, I remember hearing music in the ballroom. So I walk in. There's hardly anybody in there except Paul McCartney's tuning a guitar on the stage. I went, like, holy shit! So I, you know, I, I obviously st- stuck around and he started playing he just played all this stuff and then uh, of course people start pouring in as soon as they heard the music going and uh everyone wanted to be on stage with him and then taylor swift got up and started playing with him and then uh she wanted to play one of her songs which i guess is only fair and then he stopped he played along with he, he did he did back her up on one song and then he then he left and i thought i was angry at taylor swift because he would have played for another hour you know for all i know and
1: and those Taylor Swift tickets are expensive now, so.
4: Yeah, you got the that's true.
3: So, Neil, how often are you in contact with uh, with your your cousin, Lauren, at this point?
4: Oh, you know, weddings and bar mitzvahs, you know, funerals. <laughs> uh, that's about it. I talk to his sister all the time, but, you know, he's a busy guy. Right.
2: So I don't know how many people might know this, and I, I just want to make sure that, We talk about it because I am certainly impressed. And when we, you and I first connected a while back ago, you're, you know, we were talking about music. I think what that story about, you know, playing uh, guitar and violin, because you've done that in a couple of sketches, you know, as a musician. I'm a musician. We talked about music and you're like, hey, I've got a band. I'm like, oh, that's that's cool. Ladies and gentlemen, if you were just hearing this for the first time, please do yourself a favor lemmings inc that is lemming lemmings yeah. inc seriously it is acoustic it is folk it is rock you know what i love about it is is you listen to several tunes and there's there's different it had different feels i hear simon and garfunkel sometimes peter paul mary bob dylan uh cat stevens no relation to me um richie <laughs> valens on one of them came out like the harmonies are tasty. Uh, the The lyrics, Neil has written these lyrics. Uh, they're super intelligent. They make you think. They make you chuckle. Oh, thanks, man. I
4: really appreciate I, it.
2: I think one of my favorite songs, I uh, love them all, but really Sweet Reality has this, re- there's this refrain, this chorus. It could be like an intro to a, to a TV theme or something like that. Um, And really the construction, uh, musically speaking, from verse, you know, to chorus. uh, Sometimes the bridge takes you to a halftime feel, guitar solos. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, Lemmings Inc. um, It's strong, my friend, and uh, I want to hear more. So what can you Uh, tell us about the band? What can you tell us about your your music? Well, the band is,
4: you know, I'm... I've just been working on another album now. So thanks for mentioning that. That's, that's good. You know, you can get the music on Apple music, you know, or Spotify, whatever. Um, but, um,
2: and I'm not blowing smoke. Like yeah, if no, I brought I my wife in here, it. if I brought my wife in here right now, she'd be like, yeah, James, you know, sometimes it's just, you listen to it to kind of just,
4: well, you know, one of the songs. Remember, uh, uh, God created stupid people too. That one? Oh
2: God, yes. I, I loved uh, it that was on.
4: suddenly, suddenly, for some reason, uh, caught on in Pakistan for a couple, a couple of days, really? and I started getting uh, hundreds of of uh, messages in uh, in Pakistani what is it, uh, and it was an Urdu, and it must have. It just, you know, because it's about religious intolerance, so it it uh, it possibly, you know. Rang true to them in some way, Um, and that's an example
2: of intelligence and humor wrapped into one. Well, you know, I I uh, just—I
4: was just saying, at one, at one, for one small moment, I was the Rodriguez of Pakistan. You know, I don't know if you guys ever watched that uh, finding, searching for Sugarman. Did you ever watch that,
1: Neil? If you, uh, I guess we'll we'll head towards rapping. So, if you don't mind telling our listeners where they can find your music or anything else you're up to
4: oh well uh thanks for giving me an opportunity uh, um there will be a new album in the next month but right now uh, you can get that, that album uh, apple music it's lemmings Inc is the name of the band the album's called follow us uh, you know i didn't do much promotion the first time around I'm, I'm planning on doing some promotion this time well so anyway that's where you can get it Any, anywhere you can get music you probably get it
1: Awesome, Neil. Well, thank you for joining us, and thank you for all all of the stories. Yeah,
4: it's been fun.
1: I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'll just wrap the podcast. Uh, I'll just start with uh, Andy. Thank you for joining us today. Of course, uh, everybody should definitely check out all of your articles and recasts. With Saturday Night Live coming back this weekend with host Aubrey Plaza, so please tell the listeners where they can find all those and anything else you're working on.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if if folks want to check out my Twitter, which is uh, at SNL, oh, it's right there at uh, SNL and Review. Um, but, uh, or if you want to go to the main source, uh, ew.com, um, those, those recaps are, are updated live, um, during the show. So this was fun. Neil, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on. It was great to talk to
1: you.
4: Yeah, you too. Thanks.
1: Yeah. And, uh, James, thank you as always for joining us and putting this whole thing together. So appreciate you. Anything else you want to say to the listeners?
2: I would just say on behalf of being Andy's uh, biggest fan, please go check out his writings because uh,
3: they are great. Uh, no, I'm, I'm James. I'm your biggest fan. I'm, I'm just here right, to right. back up. Sitting sitting for the I'm after the podcast. I'm John's getting all right. insecure.
1: He's like, who's my biggest fan? John, relax. Okay, we love you too. Well, uh, listeners, thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Neil Levy and getting to hear all of these amazing stories back to the original days of uh, Saturday Night Live. And of course, uh, if you've been checking out our podcast, you'll know that we just wrapped up our Cecily Strong career retrospective, which was really a wonderful love letter to her career on the show. Amazing cast member that just left us in December. So we went through all of her greatest moments that was this past Monday night. And then coming up this weekend, we have host Aubrey Plaza musical guest Sam Smith, where we have the hot take show immediately after the show airs. Come join us live on YouTube, we'll break down all the sketches. And then next week, of course, we got our roundtable Monday night, our by the number show Wednesday night, and then our patron feedback show on Thursday night. So nonstop coverage of Saturday Night Live returning for the next three weeks. Very excited to break it all down with you. You can find us at the SNL network wherever you look for uh, podcasts or on social media. So for James, Andy and Neil, my name is John Schneider from the Saturday Night Network. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next time. Have a good one.